Ephesians 5, 6, let no one deceive you with empty words. Because of these things, the wrath of God comes upon the sons of disobedience. In this uh, chapter 7 of Matthew's Gospel, we're going to have a question time halfway through. Uh, just thought I'd warn you now, so you can get your questions. It can be about anything we've done over the last three sessions, because we haven't had the question time before this. Or indeed, can be anything. doesn't really worry me all that much. If you've got a question, it's worth asking, then ask it. And uh, then we'll finish. I think it's about uh, two-thirds of the way through. Uh, we come to question time, not at the end. Is that all right? Start thinking then. Uh, now, Martin Lloyd-Jones was a great Welsh preacher who preached in England, uh, a doctor who gave up medicine to be a gospel preacher in Westminster Chapel. Uh, you can get his sermons on tapes, many of them, and he was indeed one of the great preachers of the 20th century um, and well worth listening to. He had a habit, though, that the verse he was preaching on always tended to be the most important verse in the Bible. Uh, it's an old preacher's trick so as to help concentrate you and raise your expectations. So I want to tell you that in this chapter has the most horrible verse in the Bible. Uh, it's not the most important, most significant, but it's the one I hate the most. It's the one that I dislike. Uh, it's my least favourite verse occurs in this chapter. I also want to just warn you that I find chapter 7 a little bit more difficult to hold together. Chapter 5 and 6, the logic of the chapters is fairly straightforward. Chapter 7, it seems to jump around a little bit as we touch different topics. However, Matthew 7 verse 1 is a favourite verse of Australians. Judge not. That's the basic call of the Australian culture today. Don't you judge me. I live my life my way and it's not for anybody else to judge me and I don't judge anybody else. We don't have judgments. Everybody does what is right in his own eyes, which is the, the theme of the book of Judges when Israel all fell apart, but they don't know that. But judge not is one of their favourite verses. Even they sometimes give you the whole verse. Judge not that you not be judged. Now, when you go around judging people, you'll be judged. So don't judge. No judgments. That's the nature of our society. That's because we live in a society of gullible cynics, of, of credulous sceptics. I'll say those words again because I have a suspicion you're going to have to go Googling them later. <laughs> gullible cynics and credulous sceptics. They will believe any nonsense rather than the truth. And so there is this censorious relativism, point one on your outline. Now, believing there is no right and wrong and everything is just a matter of opinion, they maintain the high moral ground that to judge is wrong. But if everything is just a matter of opinion and there's no right and wrong, why is judgment wrong? Doesn't make sense, which our society doesn't make sense. That is, they keep having high moral grounds on their issues, but refusing to be judged on God's issues. And so critical issues like abortion or the same-sex marriage, don't you judge, it's for the individual to make their own decisions. But on other issues, ah, 
They have very high moral grounds. In fact, it's every woman's right to have an abortion. It's not every embryo's right to be aborted, but it's every woman's right to abort. And there's all manner of censorship being practiced in our society today. The people, when they would want to speak out on an issue, really are closed down. I do not know the right or the wrong of the issue of campus rape. For many years I've been highly critical of the university colleges and the appalling abuse of alcohol in young people and their irresponsibility, though nobody listened much to me when I said it for 20 or so years. But now the feminists are saying it must be true. However, there is a woman called Bettina Arndt, who's not a Christian as best I know, and who's a great sexologist who, who implemented the uh, sexual revolution of the 60s all through her teachings in the 70s and 80s, but who has become more and more conservative over the time as she's learnt more about sex and human relationships. Uh, she's investigated the issue of campus rape, and she claims that actually the campus is one of the safest places to be in Australia, that people are more likely raped on the way to campus than actually being at campus, and so on. And so she challenges the whole current mode of debate about campus rape. I don't know if she's right, I don't know if she's wrong, but what I do know is she's not allowed to say it. Because each time she goes on the campus to say this kind of thing, the campus rape people close her down with shouting and yelling and blocking the way for people to get into the lecture theatres to hear. Now when people censor information, it's usually because their arguments and information is very weak and they can't afford to have it exposed, so they say, don't talk about it. So the more they close it down, the more this old cynic thinks she must be onto something here. Because if what she's saying is palpably untrue, then why not get her to say it and demonstrate that it's untrue? I don't know if it's true or untrue. I'm not, I haven't got the statistics available to me. But what I notice is the people who want to make no judgments are very strong at making judgments. And if they know their Bibles at all, chapter 7, verse 1 is their text. Do not judge, that you not be judged. There's a misunderstanding of what the chapter is saying and what the verse is saying. Because the chapter is all about judgments. And in fact, in life, you're going to make judgments all the time. And you have to make judgments. What it's saying is, judge not that you be not judged. For, verse 2, because, for means because, with the judgment you pronounce, you will be judged. And with the measure that you use, it will measure to you. In other words, the chapter is really saying that the way you judge will be the way you are judged. That's the point that is being made. That the judgments that you make are the judgments you will receive. And that's why it goes on about why do you see a speck that is in your brother's eye, but do not notice the log that is in your own eye. The hypocrisy of false judgments. It's not saying don't make judgments, but assuring you that the way you judge, the basis of judgments, the character of your judgments, are the judgments that's going to come on you. He who points his finger at somebody else points three back at himself. It's the character of judgment, you see, 
that is being spoken of here. The chapter's full of judgments about specks and logs, but also down verse 13, enter by the narrow gate. How can you know that unless you know which is the narrow gate? Or verse 15, beware of false prophets. How can you beware of false prophets if you make no judgments? The chapter's full of judgments as the life is full of judgments. There's nothing wrong with making judgments, but remember, the judgments you make are the judgments you received. And so the great text of verse 12, whatever you wish that others would do to you, do also to them. For that's the law and the prophets. So it's talking about the, the nature of judgment, not banning judgment itself. And therefore it moves into hypocrisy. When you see specks in other people's eyes, but you don't happen to notice the log that's in your own. I'm sorry that Jesus spoke 2,000 years ago, because many of the funny things he says, we don't see as funny anymore because we've known about it all our lives, right? You, you, you know, easier for a camel to go through the eye of a needle is a very funny image. And the idea that you've got a log in your eye is a very funny image. It's, you know, it's absurd, it's ridiculous. But for us, it's just, it's, it's a saying, you know, about a log in the eye. But it is the character of people. When we judge other people, we're very intolerant. Even the smallest thing we will find fault with. But when we talk about things that we've got problems with, well, we're very tolerant. I'm very, uh, well, that's understandable. That's reasonable. I, you know, it's not my fault. My mother weaned me too quickly. I mean, there's a whole range of ways in which I can cope with my own failures that I can't cope with yours. And that human, very human potential is what this passage is about. If you're looking for people's specks in their eyes, and then expect it to be judged that way yourself. If you're generous with people, they'll expect generosity from other people as well. And then it goes on about dogs and pigs, not giving them pearls, and, which is a terrible judgment. But there are things that are just sheer obvious. I mean, the man, the woman who gives to pigs their pearls is an idiot. Really? I mean, you don't have to be super wise. You don't have to have learnt the whole of the book of Chronicles off by heart. To be able to pick a pig and a pearl and the inappropriateness of giving your pearls to the pig. There are things that are just sheer, obviously right and wrong. And it's a sick society that wants to legalise gambling, prostitution, pornography. Garbage is garbage. And you should know it. I walk down the steps and I thought, what's that strange smell? <laughs> I have almost no sense of smell. And I can smell it. And it wasn't pleasant either. Not to my olfactory system anyway. And anyway, I thought I'd be polite and ignore it. And so I did until somebody inside mentioned to me, is that Dorian? And Dorian, and I thought, Oh, yes. <laughs> yes, this is generally an Asian church, isn't it? <laughs> this is a culture cross that I do not want to bear. <laughs> However, uh, you can pick certain things, can't you, that just are. My old rector, the old minister that I had, he used to say, 
that uh, he, he really did know the difference between garbage and food. And he ate food and threw garbage away. And if you can look at certain moral corruption and not be sure about it, there's something wrong with your senses. That's right, you see. There's something wrong with the senses of our society. Gambling is a wicked, evil form of voluntary taxation used against poor people. It's a dreadful system. It's a wicked thing. There is no good thing comes out of gambling. Nothing. And yet our society promotes it. New South Wales has the highest rate of poker machines per head of population of any place in the world. And where are they? Out in the poorest suburbs. Out in the southwest sector, out of Fairfield, out, out in Campbelltown. That's where they are. Indeed, the casino used to send buses out to those suburbs to bring people in, especially on pension day so as to spend their money in the casino and take them a free bus to town, which stopped at the casino. I mean, that is just sheer evil. Ripping off the poorest people of their pension money. That is just sheer evil. But yet, you speak against gambling, you're a wowser. You are a stupid backward person. You are not part of reality and civilization. It's not civilization, it's corruption. It corrupts our society. And the gambling industry is so powerful that it owns our government. <coughs> See the fight about whether we should or shouldn't put a horse racing advertisement on the Opera House sales? <laughs> the whole thing is total hypocrisy. Because you aren't old enough to remember that the Opera House was built on gambling. <laughs> they, they, they start a special new lottery. Lotteries used to have prizes of ten, fifteen thousand dollars $15,000, but they started a $100,000 prize money on a lottery. And the whole of the... We didn't pay. It wasn't paid for our taxes. It was paid from lotteries. I didn't put a penny towards the, the Opera House. Not one cent of my money went to the Opera House because it was all built on gambling. So now to propose that you advertise gambling on the sales and to be horrified that you would advertise, the whole thing is hypocritical nonsense. But it also shows the power of the gambling industry inside our society. Something like, it was a few years ago I saw this statistic, 15% of the state of Victoria's um, government's income was from gambling taxation. I'm sure it'll be higher in New South Wales, although the uh, sales tax on land is very high in New South Wales, so that might have distorted it. But of course, if you own 15% of, the sh of, of a company, you have a controlling interest in the company. A government that has 15% of its income coming from one source can hardly say we're going to get rid of that source. They control the government of this land. They're the pigs, they're the dogs. You should be able to see it. You should see that this is just corrupt, evil nature of the society. But there's many things like that in our society. Prostitution, which we don't know to say is evil or wrong. It's now, they're sex workers and they've got their own union and 
There's one that writes regularly in our, I think it's in the Sydney Morning Herald, writes articles regularly as a journalist uh, advocating uh, sex work and how good it is and how wonderful it is. That's like walking into this room and smelling durian. You know, <coughs> if you can't smell it, you really do need to get your nose checked. There's, there's something wrong with you. You can read this stuff advocating the destruction of family life and think it's all right. It's sick. But how will I know? Can I be sure? Look, God will answer whatever you need to know. You've got this very strange little wonderful paragraph, verses 7 to 11 here, you see, about prayer. We're not told what to knock for, what to ask, what to seek. It's just reassured that God answers prayer. And it does so on the basis of fatherliness, which is the very nature of prayer. You know how to ask things from your father. And even though your fathers are evil, notice that just assumption about all humanity is sinful. Even though fathers are evil, they know how to give good gifts to their children. If that's true of evil fathers, how much more will the good and great father of all give good gifts to his children? If you go across to Luke's gospel, you'll say, how much will he give the Holy Spirit to those who ask? God will give us his spirit those things which are good that we need, whatever they may be that we need, he will provide as we ask. And so you come to the conclusion of this section of the uh, uh, Sermon on the Mount, verse uh, 12. So whatever you wish that others would do to you, do also to them, for this is the law and the prophets. I told you Yesterday, I don't remember if you don't remember, 5.17 starts the series. Do you think I have come to abolish the law and the prophets? I've not come to abolish them, but to fulfill them. And then he has spelt out to them how they fulfill the law and the prophets by doing the things the scribes and the Pharisees couldn't do, maximising the application by living in chapter 6, verses 1 to 18, uh, with a purity of religious piety that is true, that is genuine, that is sincere, and how the attitude to the world will be completely different in terms of money and their service of money and their anxieties, what they worry about, what they're concerned about, and now in the way in which they relate to other people. Their choices, their, their moral relationships of society that they have in chapter 7, verses 1 to 11. And so we come to the conclusion at 7.12, this is the law and the prophets. The law and the prophets teaches how to get on with God, how to fulfil the law, how to, uh, how to relate to God in prayer and in fasting and in uh, in our generosity, how to relate to this world in terms of its material possessions, how to relate to each other in terms of our judgments and our social relationships. And in all these things, we're going to be so different to everybody else that our conversations at the playgroup will be quite startling to the other mothers and will mark us out as being quite different to the other mothers. And your conversations at work, over the, over the coffee cup or uh, a cart or whatever it may be around the workplace, you'll be different. You'll have a different value system, a different way of relating, a different attitude towards others. The sermon then comes to its conclusion in verses 13 
through because Jesus now again addresses his disciples directly. 